0: Hi, you're listening to Reframe Your Life, and I'm your host, Sandy Reynolds. This is episode 105. And if you've listened to any of the episodes in the past, you know I don't usually reference when I've recorded or when I've posted an episode. But these are interesting times. It's the last Saturday of March in 2020, and I'm editing on a Saturday and getting ready to post this episode in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak in, well, globally, the pandemic that we're all watching and in Canada, social distancing and self-isolating to try and flatten the curve. These are interesting days. We are going into our third week here and there have been a lot of ups and downs. I met my guest today several months ago and I have intended or I had intended to interview her And it seemed like the right time to do this interview let me tell you a little bit about her her name is Jennifer Hayden and she's a graphic novelist based in New Jersey her breast cancer memoir the story of my tits was nominated for an Eisner award and was translated into Italian and Spanish She's currently working on two other graphic novels, and she talks a little bit about them at the end of this podcast. She has lectured at Columbia, Princeton, and Harvard universities, and spoken to breast cancer organizations, women's groups, art students, and comics and literary audiences from California to New York City, Miami to Toronto and London. I thought that it would be a good time to interview her because I think that when you have any kind of crisis in your life, like breast cancer, that you learn a lot about living with uncertainty. And we are living in very uncertain times. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. We've been reduced to really living more in the day than we normally are. Our plans are all on hold. And I know from talking to a lot of you that you are feeling the anxiety and the uncertainty and the fear in your own lives as well. So I hope you enjoyed this interview with Jennifer Hayden. I know I certainly did. I loved her graphic novel. I am not a person who reads graphic novels. In fact, hers was the first and only one I have read. But I appreciated her approach to her story, her memoir of breast cancer. I love the provocative title. I love a good title. And I think the story of my tits certainly gets your attention, or at least it did mine. And I love how so much of her own life story and her own history with her body and the way she relates to her body was woven into her story. I really encourage you to download it or order it online and read it. It's a very enjoyable book, and it's a great introduction to graphic novels. Who knows, maybe you will find yourself exploring other works as well. In this podcast episode, I talked to Jennifer about uncertainty and how having breast cancer has prepared her for this time that we're living in. And I also ask her a little bit about her spiritual practices and what's sustaining her right now. We all turn to different practices in our lives and have different ways of relating to God and to what we consider to be the source of life. And I really appreciated Jennifer's story and even in her book, how she talks about The goddess in her life and her relationship with the divine. So I hope you enjoy it. I look forward to hearing your feedback on it. And let's get right to it. Hi, Jennifer, I'm really happy to have you on reframe your life. So as I was telling you, just before we started recording, I've been reading your book, I've never read a graphic novel before. And I'm kind of guessing that my demographic or, you know, women over 55 probably don't make up the majority of graphic novel purchasers in, in the world. So I, I find it fascinating. It's uh, How did you choose that as a medium?
1: Well, I didn't know about graphic novels until I went through breast cancer. Uh, I, I always say this, and, and it's uh, it's amazing. But I read a New York Times article right before I'd had breast cancer, and it was talking about these things called graphic novels. and And I always have to make the joke that if the New York Times writes about it, it's over, you know. But in this case, actually, it was still kind of beginning. This was in 04. And when I had to buy books to read while I was recovering from my mastectomy, I went out and bought all the graphic novels by women that were listed in the article, Persepolis um, by Marjane Satrapi and uh, The 100 Demons by Linda Barry and uh, Alison Bechdel's, um, she hadn't done Fun Home yet, I don't think, but dykes to watch out for. And I wanted to see what women were doing with the medium. And as soon as I opened these books, I knew that this was what I was gonna do, having been a frustrated writer and a frustrated children's book illustrator. And also that this was how I was gonna tell this story. The minute I got through breast cancer, And out the other side with a prognosis, you know, you're going to live, I basically said, I have to share this story with other women because there have to be just thousands of terrified females out there like me who are about to go through this. And I want to let them know that it can be okay. And uh, so it was a mixture of really having a message that I wanted to put out there and then discovering this perfectly suited medium just as I was finishing up going through the experience. And so, yeah, this was the way I was going to do it uh, for sure. I'd also been a failed novelist and, you know, I knew that this wasn't going to be good if I just wrote it. Uh, It needed to be more than that.
0: Oh, it's brilliant, and I love your illustrations. They're so well done, and I, I just, I related so much to it. So I talked to you earlier this week. I had a call back on a mammogram, and they came back and they said it was a cyst, but they want to follow up in six months. Blah blah blah. So I have no idea what that means, but there are other things happening in the world right now. So I'm like, I'll deal with that whenever I can get to my doctor to ask her why they want to follow up, but. I realized just sitting in the waiting room, so in where I go um, for my mammogram, and I don't know the difference between Canada and the U.S., how these things work, but um, generally you get screened every two years. And then if you get called back, all the callback people are called back on the same day. So everybody in the waiting room is really anxious because we've all been called back. And The reason they do that is they have a radiologist there for the day who looks at your results right away. So you don't have to wait any longer. And so, you know, it's an efficiency thing, but I was just looking around and it's so scary for women, you know, this every two years going back and going into this and it's uh, got, of course heightened right now because you have to go through screening just to get into the room because of the coronavirus so it was timely for me talking to you and your your book is so raw in some ways and so real but also so hopeful so i'm glad you shared that's your story with us
1: well a, a part of the story that i wanted to that i did share and wanted to share was how different the experience can be, you know, what, what was it like for me? What did I appreciate? What did I not appreciate? I mean, I've talked to graphic medicine audiences and um, which is a really interesting uh, offshoot of graphic um, novels that's happening. And it's, um, uh, it's great to be able to share, you know, basically my feedback in an art form with actual medical professionals. I chose the place I had my breast cancer, uh dealt with at uh because it was hopeful to me and i explained in the book that there was a a little green leaf on their logo yes i love the idea that I, i show a picture of me really riding surfing this leaf because I needed that hope. I needed to, to believe that this was going to be okay. And when I was in the waiting room, I loved being around a lot of women. This was in Philadelphia. And actually, um, there it's just a breast care place. It's not, strictly speaking, breast cancer. So there are people at all different phases. So actually, the nice part was that some women were in there for their chemo. Some women were there for a routine mammogram and, um, and some women were leaving with nothing wrong. And that was very, um, you know, that was really good for me to see that, to see this spectrum and, and any men who were there were ancillary. They were not the story, you know, and I really needed that. Um, And of course my husband, he would come with me because I'm a lame driver and we're about uh, an hour or so from Philly uh, and all highway. And like, no way was I going to do this. And he would drive me and yeah. but it was literally all shapes and sizes of women and all going through the same thing, but different aspects of it. And I um, loved that. And since then, I've had so many loved ones go through this, uh, an old, old friend from childhood, my sister, and everybody goes through it differently. So, mm-hmm. you know, my friend read galleys of my book and said it was such a help because she went through exactly the same needle biopsy and everything else. My sister was quite stoic and really didn't want to talk about it. And now right. all of her friends are going through it and she's just saying, oh, just go and get it done. You know, it's not a big deal anymore. <laughs> so it kind of is, but it kind of isn't, kind of like coronavirus, um, you know.
0: Right. Some people will get a have very little impact if they get the disease, like corona or breast cancer. Like some people will just go through it and other people, they'll lose their lives, Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's the uncertainty that I want to talk about with you today. Well, first of all, before we get into the uncertainty part of our conversation, I was thinking when I was um reading your your book about how at the very beginning of this I don't know, do you call it a book, a novel, a memoir? I'm not sure how to refer to
1: graphic memoir is probably what people call it, although okay. I I often refer to it as graphic novel because there's a lot of novelistic treatment in it, which was conscious to right. keep okay. it a page turner. But yeah. go ahead.
0: I love the early story of your breasts. You know the story of your tits. How you talked about like as a child, like just like how young we are as women when we start to realize that having breasts is something that we. Are expected to have that you know I don't know culturally we just put so much weight and value on a woman's body and that even as a young girl you were you were very aware of your breasts or your desire for breasts I think would be a better way of saying it.
1: Yeah I mean and I talk about them almost as as um, symbols of power But you know, um, I'm reading an interesting book. I think I got it through you actually, uh, called Jailbreaking the Goddess. And in it, she refers to um, you know she's exploring different types, uh, not the mother maiden crone trio, but also two more uh, variations on that uh, to to give for the the, sort of the many faces of identities of women. And a, a phrase she's got in there is, "How do you perform your gender?" And that really made me sit up and think. And I thought, because so much is going on now with gender fluidity, and I, as I'm as i not of the generation that's doing this experimentation so much, so I look at it with a certain amount of humor and, and, and inquiry. Like, I have no idea what is going on here. But I think that, I think that idea of performing your gender is where breasts are very um, important tools for women. Mm-hmm. And so that it isn't, I did think of it pretty much in terms of self image, uh, and simply growing up in my book. But now I have to say, especially as I'm seeing women like my friend, my old friend who went through this, she chose to remain f- completely flat after bilateral, bilateral mastectomy, whereas I had reconstruction and, uh, that's performing her gender in a certain way. She still feels quite womanly. She dresses like a woman, but she's saying, my breasts are not part of this performance anymore. And and I find that I find that really interesting. The, the theatrical aspect of this is more interesting to me now than it was when I was 43 and going through it. I'm 59 and I have a little more distance perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think you would go a different route now or do you... Now, with the awareness and who you are, and like, I know you can't really go back and that was who you were then, but if you were to go through this now, do you think you well, would approach anything differently?
1: At the time when I went through it, I asked the doctor if what I was doing was what a lot of women were doing because they found DCIS in one breast and prophylactically I had both breasts removed and had reconstruction. And he said, well, a lot of it's about 50 50 at your age. A lot of people don't get reconstruction, but about 50% do. I would say 15 years later that it's different. And, uh, some women feel quite liberated no longer to have to carry around these things, especially if they've been, um, large chested and, you know, you can, and there are more ways to to dress around it, but also I don't feel as compelled to perform my gender as I once did in that way. Uh, I, I feel as if it comes through in, uh, Oh, it's a very different self image and body image at my age. You're trying to maintain health and strength and functionality in what you do. And your, 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 your mind is way more complicated and alive than it ever was. But your, um, sense of having to have, you know, perky boobs and be able to fit in jeans and that low cut shirt, that's gone. That ship has usually sailed. And good thing too, because, you know, I'm discovering now during quarantine how I really want to dress and it's pretty insane.
0: (laughs) I saw your Instagram post and I loved it. Of You know, I'm actually wearing, so for people who are listening, we share a love for Gudrun So I'm actually wearing one of her, uh, her tops in honor of this podcast, but it's probably the least colorful thing in her, her collection. I'll show you.
1: I'm mixing and matching. She would very much approve. I've got, um, I don't know if you can see. I can. Uh, uh, Oh, you have to get the bottom here. Anyway, I have a long skirt under a short dress with a sweater underneath.
0: (laughs) I love it. And don't know if you've ever watched Grace and Frankie.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm addicted to, to Frankie's clothes.
0: Right? Like, I think there's yes. like, you know, I think she's inspired so many of us to just this kind of bohemian look. So it's fun. But she
1: she is, is someone to admire because it, it, she does a, a deep knee squat in one of those shows. and. I know. And I was like, oh, are you kidding me? But her and her jewelry is is amazing, too. But this, yeah, you yeah. know, the idea of dressing the way, finding the way I want to dress, Gudrun was a big part of that and realizing it's OK to be comfortable. My favorite line um, about Frankie, uh, the sun says something like uh, underneath that soft fabric is a, is a strong woman.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's so funny. true, right?
1: That's what I want to be, a strong woman surrounded with soft fabric, please.
0: Yes, and I agree that, you know, as you get to a certain stage in life, that a lot of it is more about expressing who you are and less about conforming to some societal image of how women should perform their genders. So I wanted one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was because I was thinking about uncertainty. And I, you know, obviously, your story of having breast cancer, not just your own, your mother's and your, your sister and other people and the other experiences you've had in your life, you know, you've dealt with a certain amount of uncertainty. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk about that because in Canada anyway, right now, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of uncertainty, I think, for people in terms of how long this is going to go on for us here and globally as well. I just wondered what what are some of the things like as you're going through this and you reflect on your journey through cancer and other life experiences, what, what do you think is helpful in these kinds of situations?
1: Well, I was thinking about this. I mean, uncertainty too, like self-image is different when you're 43 when I went through breast cancer with two small children and 59. I'm nearly 60 and I'm looking at life differently. I think that uh, the thing about uncertainty, you know, they always say that being uncomfortable is a good thing and I hate being uncomfortable that's why I dress like this right and uh, a lot of things make me uncomfortable I've actually had a lot of certainty in my life I've grown up with privilege and with um, uh, I met my husband very young and uh, you know things I've remained in the same in the same town basically my whole adult life Uh, now I'm a few towns over so it was it really walloped me when I had breast cancer. I never thought there would be that much uncertainty in my life and uh, and now it's back. This is as much uncertainty as that. This is an insane amount of uncertainty only now it's- it's this global uncertainty of what's going to happen to the economy, what's going to happen to my child's prospects for getting a job. She was on the cusp of that in New York City, her dream job in publishing, and now. It's as if she just graduated from college and is back in her childhood bedroom. It's devastating for the kids her age. And and we've got a presidential election coming up, which is gonna be, you know, roiling. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be something. And that's another piece of the uncertainty. And we totally don't know how long this is gonna happen because unfortunately, there's no leadership going on in in America right now. That would be nice, but it's not there. So we're all doing the seat of the pants. But at least the the first. When I went through breast cancer what I wanted most was to get certainty back mm-hmm. just get go, get through my surgery get the pathology find out if I was going to be okay in the long run and then and then pick up and go on although I did wonder how I would be the same person and the best advice I got which I have which I talk about in the book is you won't be the same person but you will go on and that's what we do in life with all of these uncertainties we you know, we pass through them and we, uh, we absorb, you know, whatever the lessons are, we shift what we're up to and who we are, and then we continue on and we're usually in better shape. And this has been, uh, you know, again, a real eye opener. And to me, the most important thing that's going on is that everybody is staying home and they're unable to escape who they are. And, what their addictions are and what their their crutches are and what they think they can't live without and who they are when they're quiet and alone because I don't think people can entertain themselves on the web all day long, although they're trying. And so, you know, turning off and looking inward is something we are all doing at the same time. That also is kind of mind-blowing to mm-hmm. me. And I feel as if there's going to be this... You know, some days it feels like Mother Nature just walloped us with a disease that would keep us all uh, out of the workplace for an extended period and return us all to zero, mm-hmm. you know, and return the pollution to zero and the raping of the land to zero. And uh, all of our our misconceptions about ourselves, you know, you uh when I'm awake with anxiety at three in the morning now, I have this amazing feeling that I'm finally really looking at uh, an accurate mirror of who I am because Mm -hmm. there's, I can't, I just always went to, oh, but tomorrow I get to draw a picture of da, 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 which will go into the book, which will get published. I don't know what's going to happen to my publisher. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Will I die before I finish this book? And I'm working on two books actually. And, So without anywhere for my head to go to, except to the basic human, live or die, um, survive, not survive, um, uh, handle this madness or go mad, those major questions in the middle of the night, you find out what your strength is and who you are. And I will say that the experience of breast cancer made me realize that I was stronger than I ever thought. And. But it felt like it was on behalf of my family and my husband and my work, and now i 'm looking more outward as an older person, and uh, you know much more of a commitment to the wider community and i 'm just feeling like we all need to help each other through this and uh, spiritually or physically, and really, it is spiritual because so we can 't really touch each other, and mm. so how can we um, give each other, I'm realizing how important laughter is and how important optimistic thoughts and patience and some of the grit that my mother was so good at, you know, are, are called for right now. And it's, it's wartime is how it feels. And we're not going to be um, superficial, uh, selfish people and the people who are hoarding the toilet paper, they know who they are and um, they will be They will not be avenged but (laughs) they will probably find out that that's not really who they are in the process of this and i hope so anyway so i think there's just a tremendous uh, opportunity for learning if there's anything positive to be gained from this
0: yeah 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 i know um when all of the sports canceled i'm not a sports person Um, my husband said oh he said I'm just surprised how much I just flip on sports like as a diversion in my life like I just like oh I'll just see what's happening on the basket you know with basketball or hockey or whatever and like the first week he was said he just felt lost and a year a year ago my husband almost died he said when he was recovering he was home for two months he just watched sports the whole time you know, like baseball. Like he just—he's like, this is so different. One of the things that I think—I don't know if you found this—but I'm noticing with people is that we we often say, "Oh, if I had more time, I'd do this. If I had the time, I'd do that." You know, if I wasn't so busy, I'd I'd journal or I'd write or I'd clean my cupboard out or I'd you know wash my kitchen floor or whatever it is. And now all of a sudden we have time. And I think that one of the things that we're confronting is we're not doing those things. And is it because we didn't really ever want to do them? We never intended to. Right.
1: Right. This is what I mean about like finding our real selves. I'm not doing all of these, you know, things that I have post-it notes, like cut your nails. And I'm like, I don't want to. And also, what's the point? And I'm realizing that this way that I've lived as a stay at home artist, work at home artist, is um, I've operated with a lot of guilt. And now that guilt is taken away. A lot of the guilt with how we interact with um, or how we respond to obligations, and you've been talking a lot about this in your work, um, a lot of that guilt is removed because we're essentially all invalids and we don't have to be proactive uh, anymore i mean except of course people who are doing essential services and our incredible medical community and thank you thank you thank you thank you for your sacrifices and all the work you're doing so um you know there are people who are really stepping up physically but most of us are retreating physically and the you know the effect is uh is I find is, is looking at things and just going well, it doesn't really matter all that much, does it? Um, It's uh, it's, why do we have to be the way everybody is right now? You know, the, the show that is my guilty pleasure right now is Outlander. And I know that like all the ladies have watched this and they've swooned over what's his name, the Scottish guy. And, and I just love it as a story. I never read the books, but it is a time-traveling story. Um, and it's uh, about a woman who manages to get into the 18th century from the from World War II. And then she um, spends time in the past, and then she comes back into the present. And then in, this, in 1968 or something, she goes back into the past. That's as far as I've gotten. And her, um, you know, I keep thinking, like, how is she just dispensing with things like underwear, you know, when she has to go back into the 18th century or, (laughs) or, or shampoo or plumbing, you know, she just sort of happily, and she's happier in the past. And it occurs to me that she's living a life that means something. She's a doctor at heart and ends up becoming a doctor, a healer in the past. And I think it's just, as I'm watching it now, I'm thinking. Wow, there are times when your life, and I think wartime is like this, gets boiled down to essentials. And all that stuff you thought you couldn't live without, as we've been saying, um, just becomes r- ridiculous. But also the stuff that you you thought you needed to do, that sense of obligation, the things you were guilty about. They, they kind of burn up. And, all, I mean, that's how it felt when I went through breast cancer. All I had to deal with was getting through this and getting it done. And, and I did, and it was a very pure feeling. And afterward I was very reluctant to let in back in the, the stupider elements of my life. I was, I actually felt very purified afterwards. And I wonder if our culture will do a little bit of that. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, very sorry that um, musicians and performers of all sorts are, not able to to earn their living right now. I mean, the arts are going to be very hurt by this, but um, but maybe actually our, our participation in the arts and our value of the arts will increase because we'll start to realize that this is what has mattered. Somebody told me Yo-Yo Ma is offering three cello pieces, like a piece a day that you can listen to. And um, what a beautiful response to what's going on. And... Um, you know, what a great way to remind us that that's what humans are about. That's what we can do, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, I, I mean, I just, a couple things to that. I would, you know, I'm sure you've seen the um, images and the, the, on Instagram or wherever of the, people in Italy who are singing on their balconies and performing and sharing, you know, dancing and all of the things that are going on. And it's it, so much of it is based in the arts and even watching movies projected on buildings together from their balconies, which is just amazing. Oh,
1: how sweet. That is yeah. really.
0: But you, you were, you are talking, cause I wrote, um, down, there was a scene in your, in, um, Your graphic novel, where you were talking to your therapist about how you were doing, and I think it was supposed to be your last visit, and you say, "I'm wondering how well I will ever let the world back into my life again." That just really stood out to me when I was reading it because as we're going through this, we're seeing what's essential and what's not essential in our lives, and what is um, kind of guilt that we have that isn't really based in anything other than some belief about what we should or shouldn't be doing with our lives. And I think as we're stripping stripping away all of this, and we're getting to that place where we have to decide what will we let back into our lives again. And, And I've been thinking a lot about the aftermath of coronavirus and what will it look like for us. And nobody knows if and when we get through this crisis Um, what will our lives look like? And what what do you think people need to be aware of in terms of you get through the first crisis, what comes after that in rebuilding?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think think the biggest thing is gonna be uh, making sure that money gets to the people who need it. I really do. I think it's gonna be an enormous financial crisis and that everybody has to realize that that you must help your neighbor and you must help, you know, your, the, the local businesses that you want to see survive. It's going to be, you know, the corporations, you know, they need to survive too, but, but we are going to be at grassroots level. We're going to need to be helping each other because some people are going to be very hard hit. They're hard hit right now. People aren't getting unemployment, you know, it's just terrible. And, and, and that comes back and bites everybody. You know that is not going to be, you know, when the when the the um, you know uh, just a, a musician who's got a couple of gigs isn't getting paid. You know that that will trickle up to to everybody. And so the um, I think that uh, a sense of communality is going to be you know a big a big part of what needs to change. But I also think getting rid of some of this chatter. It's an irony to me the the um internet has been such a pain in the butt for so long in terms of distracting it like you're trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with a couple of your friends and all you're getting is cat videos and you're like okay. just, you know, kill me now. I can't watch another cat video. And then um but now I'm realizing there's another aspect to the internet that we, we really hadn't used enough before, which is a, a way to really reach each other and really uh, talk about things that matter and uh, show each other our weak sides or our sorrowful sides or our our quirks. You know, there's a lot of boasting on the internet, but now I'm finding people... I mean, one of my things is I really want to see all the hairdos in a month because... <laughs> everybody's not going to be able to get their hair dyed and not going to be able to get it cut and it's just going to be creative time you know and so in certain ways we're getting back to the middle ages and uh it's going to be uh much more um essential it's going to be more um truthful and i that's what i am praying happens that everybody that that these um that these these curated images of ourselves start being less important than uh a a a group healing that can take place even though it's personal and you'd rather do it at an ashram you can do it um you know these yoga places are, are doing an incredible job of zooming meditations and yoga classes and you know there are ways that we can still help each other and we need each other that's the big thing we're we're at the same time, we're realizing how much it means to hug somebody, how much we need each other physically. And I'm hoping that that just as we can figure out more, more uh, uh, spiritually how to use the internet, that we can also um, figure out how to be with each other with more of our time in a more meaningful way. And I've been as guilty as anyone, not that I'm on the internet, but that I'm, I'm drawing so many hours and I don't you know, see socialize as much. And this was the year that I made it a, a, uh, uh, new year's resolution that I was going to socialize more, (laughs) pick the wrong year. (laughs) But on the other hand, now I feel less guilty that I don't socialize, um, that I don't travel more. And I'm realizing, um, you know, what it is that I want to do is I, I, among other things, I, I really love to uh, Discuss things like this, get at the meat of things, and, and maybe I'll have more time to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's room for, I think, a deeper conversation right now. So it's it's good. I think there's there's so much in this that we're going to look back on, just like I'm sure, because, I you know, I've, I've had cancer as well, and you look back and it was, you know, it was a, a very um, – it changed a lot in my life, just like it changed a lot in your life. But you wouldn't want to be the person you were before, in some ways, because it made you. It makes you evaluate who you are and how you want to live.
1: Yeah, I mean, people have asked me, you know, would you trade the experience? And I always say no. I mean, of course, I was lucky, and would I trade the experience if I were still, you know, if I still had cancer as a result of this? No. I mean, you know that that wouldn't be all that fun, but um, because it was a story with a happy ending for me, seemingly knock wood. Um, I have to say that it was absolutely worth it for what I learned. Uh, and, and uh, not, and among other things, you know, if you read the book, it was discovering this feminine divine that, uh, became a huge support in my life. And, has continued to be a guiding force for me when I don't feel up to something or brave enough to do something. And then I realize that I'm speaking for this, this, this feeling of a, of a much larger than life, you know, female goddess who, you know, is, uh, um, she's she's prodding me to, to to speak for her in certain ways, just as she's in you and in lots of other women. And to be able to do that is, um, you know, is a total pleasure. And sometimes I lose sight of that when I'm just letting stupid life get me down. And right now I find, especially with spring coming, I'm just looking out the window going, what are you telling us, man? You are really giving us a big message here, a big slap in the face at the same time that you're offering us what you've always offered us, which is this hope at, yeah. around the vernal equinox. You
0: know, yes. Yeah. And I, I wanted to talk to you about that because I I think that there's uh, you talk about the goddess a lot in your book, and I was curious about what spiritual practices are grounding you right now as you go through this uncertainty. That's a very interesting question because my.
1: Uh, I have this spiritual life in having a daily relationship with this goddess figure, but it's, but I, I don't know if I have any practices, you know, I read my tarot most mornings and that feels like a sort of prompting from the universe. And I also, I have little goddess altars all over the house and as I walk past them, I sort of touch them or look at them or speak to them, you know, that that's ongoing and i wear her around my neck and uh when i do yoga there's a gratitude aspect to that where i'm thinking of her um and i do meditate now and then and that definitely is is i'm thinking about her but um i am not uh i'm not doing any offerings or you know circles or spells or anything which i was starting to get into there is a part of me that, that um is uh, my faith is being tested, even though I I feel her talking to me. It's a bit like a battle with a parent. And when I was going through breast cancer, I didn't feel that way because she was sort of new in my life. And I'd had this vision where she was saying, this is going to stink, but you're going to be fine. And after that, I thought, okay, I've gotten through the trial. And now I'm like, oh, again, like two years ago, three, three years ago, my parents died within seven weeks of each other, both very old, old age. And it was okay. But that was, traumatic to, to have them go so close together. And that was the first time I didn't reach out to, you know, this sense of the goddess. And I felt very abandoned for several months, actually, and very, um, very afraid, very threatened. Um, I, there were lots of trees around our house, and I kept having the sense that, that um, men were walking through the trees at night and we were in danger. And I don't know where that came from, and right now i'm when I'm up at night i'm getting starting to get that feeling again. there's a feeling that something is creeping toward us that is threatening and where is my protection and But I realize this is my failing that I'm not bringing enough to the relationship with this female divine that that she is is pulling something out of me. She's asking me to pony up more of the courage and um, wherewithal to deal with this. And I'm, I, I like everyone else. I'm a bit at a loss as to how to do it, except to keep open to it and open to, to listening to the ways that um, my common sense and my spiritual sense are telling me to strengthen myself. So it's mm-hmm. ongoing. It's, it's a struggle.
0: Yeah. I find that sometimes when we're in the midst of a crisis and the things that um, come easy don't come easy and the things that you think would be, you'd fall back into like journaling. I journal almost every morning. I love journaling. But when I read back my journals, I notice the gaps are where I've been in a really intense, dark time. And it's like the thing that would be most helpful. I can't do it, and yeah. I I think that is um, it's okay, you know, that yeah. th- that you don't have those kinds of practices. And it, it um, it's a crisis. In when I used to do Myers Briggs work a lot, they call it being in the grip. And when you're in the grip, when you're in a crisis you actually do a personality flip. So if you're an extrovert, you can become very introverted. Mm-hmm. If you're a very organized person, you can become very unorganized and it's mm-hmm. it's like you can't it's like the um dominant part of your personality recedes and mm-hmm. and what's, you know, secondary or tertiary in who we are steps up. And it's it's a weird thing what happens to us in times of crisis.
1: Mm, very interesting. I just um bought a tarot deck uh to, that I just had heard about called Archetypes mm. by um oh I forget it's the it's an artist in I think California and it's a beautiful very strange work of art this deck and it's it uh it it you know uses jungian psychology to some extent and then just plain old crazy artwork and divides human experience into sort of 78 cards and it's the tools the the um the selves the this the that and and you're supposed to do it in a slightly different way than you do the tarot but the idea is that you are contemplating these archetypes of human existence and human mythology and and uh and they are provide insight into your own life just as you would do with regular tarot uh and as i'm starting to learn about it and read the book about it um i'm i'm really i'm really stunned because it is you know you can just sort of pick a card and look at it and and uh you know, a, a butterfly that seems to be lit from inside, you know, what, and is flying either into darkness or out of light, like you can't quite tell. I picked that card recently, and I just thought, this is really an amazing image for rebirth and, you know, rejuvenation. And I have a bad spine, so the idea that the fire along my spine is part of my story and as an inspiration and a light as well as being pain. You know, yeah. that's very, uh, it's, it is very archetypal. And I think thinking, um, I think there, and her, her point in, in offering this tarot is to help us discover these, these sort of layers of ourselves and, and, and think less in terms of a, a pictorial story. Uh, you know, of a character going through life, which is kind of what the the writer weight Tarot is like, and to actually sit and contemplate these really huge human and animal and just being in the world concepts and how they relate to us and what we're bringing forth. Um, mm-hmm. You might use certain tools one t- one week and different tools another week. I-, I love the idea that there's so much more to us. And that the roots go so much deeper and all the way in joining all the other roots. I think it's a time of life when I'm ready for this, this sort of thinking.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I wanted to talk about your, what you're doing before we end. The story of my tits is complete. You're still speaking and doing some work around that. And you're working on a cookbook, which I think it just made me laugh. I thought I have to get this cookbook. Can you just tell us a bit about it?
1: Well, I'm actually working on two things. The cookbook is halfway done. I'm calling it a graphic anti-cookbook because it combines, as I say, my love of cookbook illustration with my absolute hatred of making dinner every night. And um, I think the subtitle that the publisher is giving it is something like uh, The Last Cookbook You'll Never Need. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's basically comics and um, horrible recipes you'd never want to make and and just disasters in the kitchen. Uh, it's in color, so that was a bit of a learning curve for me. My work's yeah. usually in black and white. And it's hand-done colors, so it became... Extremely exhausting. And halfway through, I took this trip to France and um, I was going to the International Comics Festival in Angoulême, which was a, a bucket list item for me. I had wanted to go ever since I got into cartooning 15 years ago. And I went and had a terrible time uh, until the very last minute, uh, as I always have in France. And I decided when I got home that I just, I had to bust this whole thing wide open between me and France. I had to like take it to the mat, see what was going on. And I thought it was going to be a 40-page novella, um, uh, like graphic travel novella. No, I'm on page 75, and it's not remotely half done. This thing is just, it's just turning into a huge... um, graphic novel about, um, my identity as an artist and my relationship with France as, uh, as a source of inspiration because comics owes a lot to, to France. And I grew up with Asterix and Obelix, uh, the, the, um, illustrator of Asterix and Obelix just died, um, which was very sad. He was, he was old, but um, I loved that, that cartoon. And uh, I guess I'll have to say, I think he's, he was Belgian, but anyway, it's, it's from the, the Gallic you know, um, French comics. And uh, so that, that book is going to be also my tribute in some ways to French comics. And I'm having a lot of fun with that. And uh don't have a publisher, which is really irresponsible, but I hope to get one. My cookbook will come out from top shelf and neither book is finished. So I can't give you like a publication date, but they'll be out there in the next. I'm certainly getting a lot of work done now and they'll be out there in a, in a year or so. It's, there's been sort of a hiatus since the story of my tits came out because it it got a lot of attention. I ran around doing a lot of things with it and then... Afterwards, realized that with my hand aging, I could no longer do all the cross hatching I got into in that book. Hmm. So I spent. Um, so I started a journal. I started a diary comic online called uh, Rushes, and it's it's available at the Goddess Rushes. Well, it's also available on my website. And in the course of doing it, I was disciplining myself to. I was weaning myself away from all the pen and ink work and starting to add a black watercolor pencil to for a softer look and for a softer touch for my hand and that is the medium that I'm using for um this new book the one in black and white and so I actually have three uh I think it's like three 1300 pages of that diary comic and i thought it would get published but It never did so i've been work, hard at work but I'll, just to let you know you can have a hit and then you can get you can totally bomb right afterwards you know it's good to know that it's it's very refreshing so yeah i'm hoping yeah. to have another hit
0: i hope so too so people can find you at jennifer and uh
1: yeah, and all of the links to my work are on there. I've also got a an Etsy store called Goddess Drawn. Yeah, that's yeah, that's it. And my blog and everything is on my website.
0: Yeah, and social media. Your favorite place to hang out is
1: well, at the advice um, of you know publicists, I'm doing um, Instagram and Facebook and uh, Twitter, but I'm uncomfortable on Twitter. I'm not sure. It seems like everyone's screaming into a cavern in Twitter. On mm-hmm. Facebook, it's like everyone's at my kitchen table. And then Instagram is like people are just hurling photos at each other. Like, <laughs> like this... <laughs> yanking them off of, out of albums and throwing them at each other. And I love Instagram uh, as much as I love Facebook. It's, it's fun. So yeah. yeah, you can find me everywhere.
0: Well, thank you. I, it's felt so long overdue doing this and it's, it's really helpful and I appreciate the work you're doing and I love, I really love the story of my tits. I I love everything about it. And
1: well, thank you so much for reading. And uh, as you said, you're not a graphic novel reader, but my book is definitely, it's written for, for women like you, women like us. I was not a graphic novel reader before I was a graphic novel writer. So, you know, I mean, um, the subject matter is, uh, it's very, it's meant to be accessible. Um, and uh, and I'm, I'm very glad we waited to talk because this is a time when we needed this conversation more than exactly. we did. Exactly. So I just, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, it's Thank really.